0: Um, Throughout the next three to four weeks. I'm gonna have tons of really great stories of how not To be in a relationship as well as how to be in a relationship. It's gonna be it's gonna be really fun Um, so I'm excited, but it's interesting to me that my wife I am married. She is not here she actually won't be here throughout the duration of this marriage series Now, for those of you that are new to The Exchange, please don't read into that. Our marriage is perfectly fine and healthy, but the reality is, we just welcomed a grandbaby into the world. I'm a granddad. I don't really like that word. Uh, I'm not used to it when people reference that, I'm like, I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm gonna be grandpa, granddad, G-dad, pop, pops, I don't know. Someone asked me and I was like, you know, the only thing I'm really comfortable with is Uncle Trey. So maybe, maybe we'll have River call me Uncle Trey until I settle into a, a new term. But I brought some pictures. You wanna see my baby? Look, that is River Rose born on February 5th. What a grand day to have a grand baby. This is, um, this is incredible. I, I look at her and you know, I think Greg talked about the legacy offering. and you know, the difference between inheritance and, and legacy is inheritance is what uh, you leave to someone. Legacy is what you leave in someone. And so I look at something like this. And you know, we have the legacy offering coming up and I think we're doing both legacy and inheritance because it's a once a year sacrificial offering and gift where we just go all in and you know, we rally the troops and we figure out how we can do another year of incredible ministry and how we can go above and beyond. And we're leaving an inheritance for the next generation. I look at my my granddaughter and I think, you know, she lives in Australia, but who knows? She might be back here someday helping with this church. And what about your kids? They've grown up here. They're gonna run this church someday. And what about your grandkids? Like that's what the offering is about is leaving something to the next generation, you know? So they can stand on our shoulders. They don't have to start over from scratch as some building down the road. They can take this thing that we've built together and run with it. And then building a legacy, like leaving something inside our kids. I want that little girl to remember her granddad as someone who was a man of faith, someone who, who took a huge step. This is a photo of my son, Micah. He's Australian. No, he's not. He lives in Australia. He's kind of Australian. He's in, in a bit of an identity crisis. Um, but that's, that's his daughter, River, looking over at the camera. Next photo, that's River at church this morning um, they go, my, my son and his wife are youth pastors at a little church called Hillsong, and she's wearing her earmuffs. She is three days old in the house of the Lord, and they're starting her off right, so I'm super excited. You know, people say that she looks like me. Go back to picture number one. Picture number one. They're saying that in the nose, like she, she looks ro- like a rose, you know, she's got this nose and all that. And I'm thinking one of two things. Either I'm really pretty or when she gets older, she is going to be ruggedly handsome. I don't know what it is. I just know this. Now that I've been a granddad for three days, man, I just feel so much wisdom bubbling up inside of me. My sermons are bound to be better from here on out. Marriage. I want to talk to you about marriage. I'm going to sit you down in 30 seconds. But first, can you put your hand on your heart? Because I want to just speak some peace over the room. (sighs) Some of you here today have walked in and you thought to yourself, if I knew he was going to talk about this, I wouldn't have shown. Because I've tried the marriage conferences and it didn't work. I've tried the self-help books and it didn't work. I've prayed and prayed and asked God to fix it and it didn't work. Some of you in the room are, are single, maybe from failed marriages, maybe uh, hope deferred that is making the heart sick for whatever reason. Maybe you, you are happily single and you feel like this message is not for you. I just want to give us all the permission right now to receive this message without fear. Without fear of judgment, without fear of feeling less than without fear of feeling like you've dropped the ball and there is time wasted. Because I really believe that today can be the best day, first day of the best days of your life. I really do. Father, I bless your people. God, I ask that your word would come alive in our heart. And for those of us who have spouses at home that are far from you in this moment, God, I ask that you would give us the grace to take back what we received today and let our hearts be changed. God, let us sit here with a posture, understanding that we need to do business with you. God, you're not here to meet with us on behalf of our spouse. You're here to meet and do business with us. So we say yes to you, Lord. We realize that we have made mistakes. We realize we've dropped the ball, but God, we. We just push aside that guilt and shame because as long as we hold on to the shame, we cannot step into our next. And we want more, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say, amen. 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 You may be seated. I have to be honest, for the first number of years in our marriage, Carrie and I, we, we went to a number of marriage conferences and we left in an argument every time. Honestly, we hated it. We we dreaded it. We felt like that there were Stereotypes thrown out the man always and the woman always and like it wasn't that way for us and things were different and we, We just like couldn't seem to connect the dots whenever we would hear Marriage sermons and so part of my challenge today is I'm preaching from a perspective of I'm not a stereotypical dude like I'm a dude but I'm not stereotypical. And I understand the damage that stereotypes can create whenever a marriage is hurting and they desperately need the word of God to change their life and transform the relationship right now. But all the preacher wants to do is throw out stereotypes. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw out my story. And I hope that my story can somehow, when paired with the scripture and the word of God that The Holy Spirit can highlight to you what you need. My story in parts will seem very stereotypical. The women will say, oh, he's such a dude. But other parts of the story may not. But here's what I know. God values marriage. My challenge today, I wasn't sure how to kick off this sermon. And and. And Second of all, if I'm being really vulnerable, I didn't tell first service this, but the last three days We didn't know my wife was leaving to Australia. We didn't know when the baby was coming, but I've dreaded I've dreaded this sermon without my wife here because I believe she brings so much strength to our marriage Now on the other hand, I can say a lot of things without getting in trouble (laughs) So it's I don't know if it's good or bad But she's an incredible She's an incredible woman and I wasn't sure and I knew I knew that it's important for me to talk about the foundation of marriage. I know that. like God, God established marriage. Congress didn't. America didn't. England didn't. God did. In Genesis 2, God established what marriage looks like. And I could talk about that all day, and I could do it in love, and it's exciting. I'm so passionate about marriage. But I didn't feel like that was appropriate for today. So I went to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 through 25. Well, well, first of all, if we back up a little bit, we see that Adam and Eve are in the garden. They have this meltdown, and they partake of the forbidden fruit, right? You all know the story. Many of you know the story, at least, and if you don't stay with me, I'll just paraphrase it. Um, God created Adam and Eve, they partook, partaken, partook partake something of the fruit and then it separated them from God. And as a result, they were cursed. And in Genesis 3.16, it says, To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. How many of you would say that's true? That's come to pass. But I want to focus on this next portion. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Your desire will be for your man and he will rule over you. Now, many of us have thought, well, maybe that means that I'm just going to just be so in love with him. My desire is going to just be for him and I'm going to want his attention and want his affection that's not that's not the curse. That's not what God meant by that. And all the women in the room could say amen that you don't think of your man 24/7, right? You don't pick up the used fork that he just used and was like, "Oh." oh. No, you don't do that, right? You don't look at his dirty socks on the floor and be like, "Oh. I am just so blessed." It wasn't talking about she, she's going to have this deep desire for her husband and that he's going to rule over her like a, a knight and a prince and, or, or even with an ironclad fist. What this is really saying, in fact, let me just translate it. I wrote down a, a new version. It's called the TTV, the Tray version. The Tray version of this curse looks a lot like this. When there was only one God and you were under my authority in the garden things were very peaceful. When, I, when it was you and Adam and you were under my authority, things were great. Now that there are three of us, now that you have decided to be your own God, things are going to get a little sticky. Now that there are three gods in the garden, that's going to be a problem. But it's not going to be a problem for me because I'm the one true God. It's going to be a problem for the other two gods in the garden who want desperately to have that authority now that you are no longer under my authority it's going to be a fight to see who is in control you're going to be in competition to have authority over the other it's a fight with no winner all the way back from the garden of eden men and women it has been a gender match it has been a fight for control Now, you're probably thinking, well, that's not me. I don't feel that way. But if you look at the trajectory of history and society, it has been man versus woman. Who's going to be in control? We've seen it. And God said that is the part of the curse, this fight and this need for control. And you want a healthy marriage? We've got to break free from the curse of control, the cure, for control and domination is to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now I'll tell you, Carrie and I believe uh, in the godly value that the man is the spiritual leader of the home. Carrie would tell you if she were here, she wouldn't want that responsibility she doesn't want to be accountable before God in heaven, for the spouse and the kids and how the home goes, and all. she doesn't want it. She's very glad that I have it. But I'll tell you what, in our home, there is no conversation over who is the boss, because we both know that Jesus is the boss. I don't have to declare that I'm the man and she doesn't have to declare that she's a strong and capable woman. We both understand that as long as we submit and surrender to the authority of Jesus Christ and we let him be God. I, I said a couple of weeks ago, I think they're making a shirt out of it. I don't want to be God. I don't want to control my life. I can't even control my calorie intake. Like I, I don't want to be in control. Carrie doesn't want to be in control Wherever there is control, there is strife. Control is actually, this is good news for many of us, control is one of the easiest things to fix. If you have control issues this morning, now remember, I'm not talking to your spouse, I'm talking to you. If you have control issues this morning, it is one of the easiest things to fix. You can sit down, or you can stand up. Because control falls along those two polar extremes. You're very assertive, you're very aggressive, you're pushy, you always wanna eat where you wanna eat, you want things to go your way, the money's gonna be spent this way, you want your kids to do this and dress this way, and you want everything to be just this way. Or the opposite thing of control is who, little old me? Oh, I don't need anything, y'all just, Take care of yourself. Let me just serve you. Let me just take care of you. And you humiliate yourself acting like you're elevating others. But really, that's just your ego. Because you feel like that you're not capable and you're not worthy to stand up and be a strong human being. You, my friend, are strong. Some of you need to sit down. Some of you need to stand up. Here's the crazy thing. Did you know that when you get married, you marry someone that is equally emotionally intelligent as you? Always. You marry someone that is as emotionally healthy as you are. Never fails. Without exception. You get married, you're equivalent. Some of you are thinking, no, 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 no. I, when I married him, he was not emotionally all there. He was insane. But who said yes to that? <laughs> you marry your emotionally health equivalent. Health marries health, unhealth marries unhealth. It's just the law, I'm sorry that we can't can't break it. It'd be really nice if we could, but once we get married and then we start to grow, some of us can surrender to the process of growth and we can grow in different directions in different ways and at different paces and hopefully your spouse is headed in the same direction as you and God can do a work in you together. But when you say yes, you know that moment you said, I do and that person is just perfect for me. You were equivalent in emotional health. So what I want to do today, I suppose, because I don't, want to, I don't want to talk a lot of fluff about marriage and how grand it is and what God says about the foundation. I think all of, all of that is very important, but I, I need to push that back because I felt the Spirit of God tell me that we're in an emergency situation this morning, that I need to do triage, that there were going to be marriages in the room that were on the brink of divorce. Like you were barely holding on and I needed to cut through the introduction, cut through the foundation and I needed to get you some real help, some real splints and some real bandages so that you can walk out of here and your marriage can survive another seven days. So the title of my sermon today is The Habits of Emotionally Healthy Couples. Emotionally healthy. I want you to be emotionally healthy. This series is Till Death do we part. I want to be married till I die and hopefully that's not through murder. I, I want my marriage to be a happily ever after. Now that doesn't mean problem-free ever after, but I want to know from day in, day out, my wife's not going anywhere, I'm not going anywhere, like we're in this thing through the thick and the thin. and. If we're gonna be married anyway, Carrie and I used to always, Chad, have this saying. It was like, hey, we're gonna be married forever. We might as well make it happy. We always put our level of commitment above our own preferences and and how much we actually were getting out of the marriage. I truly believe that's why we're still married today because I've got some stories I could tell you I won't, but I could tell you that you would know uh, their marriage wasn't always so happy. But there are four foundational laws of marriage that I got to share with you as my springboard today. I say four foundational laws of marriage. I didn't notice I didn't say suggestions, good ideas, recommendations, a list of best practices. There are four foundational laws of marriage that if you want to be emotionally healthy, you must pursue these four laws. Genesis 2, 24 through 25, it's where marriage began. It's the definition of marriage. This is what marriage is all about. Genesis 2, 24 through 25. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Two verses, four laws. Or laws you know we all have habits in our marriage your marriage by default is not going to continue to get better it will by default continue to diminish it will continue to drop away it will continue to be distance between you and your spouse if you are not intentionally putting in effort it will continuously get further and further apart no marriage That is good, by the way, is good because of chemistry. Because you married your soulmate, which I actually don't believe exists, but that's another sermon. Because of good luck or good fortune, which I know does not exist. In fact, it's demonic. But that's another sermon as well. No marriage is good because of those things. A marriage is good because two people have determined and decided in their heart that it's going to be good. The first law is found in verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother. The man leaves his father and mother. Now there are teens in the room. I see uh, they're very engaged. Tristan's like, tell me more, dad, tell me more. The reality is whether you are married or single or 95 or 19, this can help you. Because maybe you're not married now. You might be someday. I, I hope to God that you can stand on all of our shoulders and you don't have to repeat the mistakes that all of us married people have done. And maybe you're single. You, you're not going to get married. This will just reinforce why you're happy single. That, that was a joke, but some of you are still caught up on, is he talking to me or my spouse? This matters. The first Verse 24. Verse 24 he will leave his father and mother. That is the law of priority. The law of priority. Look at your neighbor and say, first things first. Your marriage has to be first. If you're not married and you're thinking about getting married, you better ask yourself, are you willing to take everything in your world and shove it down in the priority list so that your spouse becomes first? Maybe you're married and you have kids. Not, nope. Maybe you're single and you have kids and you're considering marrying someone. You better ask yourself if you're willing to set those kids on level two and that spouse take ne- level one because the marriage must come first, whether it's the first marriage, second marriage, or the 15th marriage. It's gotta be first. You can't put your career ahead of your marriage. And I know, guys, we like to do that, don't we? Because when we can get financially secure, then maybe we can spend more time. Maybe we can treat her the way that she deserves to be treated. She doesn't want to see you in the palace. She wants to see you right now in the pit with her. I can't tell you the number of times early on in our marriage where Carrie and I, we know what it means to be broke. We know what it means like having to use our baby's wick milk just to get cereal for us in the morning. Like we get it. But those are some of the grandest memories of our lives. When we sat across the table from each other, so broke we couldn't pay attention, but we were just present in the moment. Don't elevate your career above your spouse it won't get better later, it's got to be your focus now. If it's not your focus now, it will not be your focus later. There are only more distractions. The more success and momentum you get, more traction you get, more distractions you will have. The second law, again, this is a springboard and I I gotta go move quickly, so. Stay with me here. But the man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. How many of you remember another translation? It says something along the lines of leave and cleave. All the King James girls in the room understand leave and cleave. How many of you are familiar? You've heard like cleave to your wife. Oh, these, are the, these, are the, uh, uh, these are the newer Christians. Okay, we don't say cleave anymore, but back in the day, we used to say cleave. I remember growing up, you would just hear preachers say, leave and cleave, leave and cleave. I didn't know what that meant. I thought it meant cleavage. (laughs) I did. I didn't know. And then I like literally got married, and I'm like cleavage, oh, this makes sense. Like you leave your parents, cleavage. (laughs) I didn't know. But the reality is, if you look at the word cleave right now in context of English, we still wouldn't know because we don't have an equivalent. The the cleave in scripture is not what the Hebrew is saying. If you look at the Hebrew of cleave, it's saying to catch by pursuit, to follow close, to pursue with all your energy. So the second law of marriage, if you want your marriage to survive and thrive, it's a law of pursuit. You gotta chase that girl. You gotta chase that boy. You gotta figure out what they're all about and what they love now and their favorite color now and their favorite movie now and their favorite foods now. Like there are nows, not yesterdays. You gotta know the now. I love how tidbit of information here, that verse, if we could put it back up, verse 24. Genesis 2.24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. This is happening just after the creation. God is talking. We know that God is not just talking to Adam and Eve. How do we know that? Because he says a man leaves his father and mother. And Adam and Eve didn't have a mother. They only had a father. So this, this block of text is for all generate All of us that came from a woman, this applies to us. We will leave our mother and father and we will pursue our spouse, the law of pursuit. So with priority and pursuit, how do we stay emotionally healthy? I'm gonna give you four ways in the next 10 minutes. Four habits of emotionally healthy couples. And I will tell you this, I don't care where your marriage is at right now. I don't, I don't care if you were, you were here alone and your spouse is at home far from God. You start implementing these habits to the best of your ability and your marriage will change like that. Because your current marriage is the product of the habits that you have slipped into. And so if we can just do a bit of triage this morning and we can identify the, and assess the damage in the room, and you can implement these strategies, within seven days, your marriage can change. I promise you, come back in seven days. If your marriage, and and some of you will say, well, I do number one good, or I do number three good, or I'm saying you, you need to do all four. In seven days, your marriage may not be perfect, but it will be noticeably transformed. And if it's not you come back to me in seven days, and I will give you a refund, and you can have your rotten marriage back. It will be completely different. The first thing that you can do, the habit is pray together and trust God together. This, this can be really difficult. I know I'm a pastor. I kind of get paid to pray sometimes I think that's a bigger disadvantage than it is advantage. Because you can get so used to prayer, so used to Bible study, and so used to time with Jesus, so used to preparing a message that sometimes you forget to eat from the table that you prepared. But I also understand in your seat, some of you are like, I've never prayed out loud. Do it anyway. Fumble through it. Let your lip quiver if you're nervous. Like, you don't even know what to say, just say Jesus. You and your spouse, you need to pray together. If you're not praying together, you are missing it. You are missing all that God has for you. I'm telling you, the moment of vulnerability, this is probably the one in the four that I'm the worst at. Yeah, I'm Pastor Trey, I'm your pastor. I am probably the worst at praying with my spouse. And it's not because I don't value her prayers. It's not because I think I've already take care, take, taken care of it and I've met with God. It's none of that. It's just it's priorities. It's that she likes to pray in bed at 11.15 p.m. when I've gone to bed at 9.30. But we've learned one thing. When we pray together, all of heaven and hell hears it. When we pray together, our kids lives are transformed when we pray together people that have offended us people that have wronged us people that have betrayed us those things that we carry begin to dissipate when we when we pray together god moves in a way that i can't describe it and it, it's it's not that my prayer is better than hers or hers are better than mine But there is this intangible X factor when a husband and wife that are in covenant under God come together in prayer. If you're sitting here today and your marriage is struggling, this is going to be an extremely hard thing to do tonight. And you're going to do it tonight. I hope. It's going to be awkward. And you're going to feel judged by the spouse and and you're going to think, oh, they don't think I'm spiritual enough Get all of that. Put your ego at the door. You have nothing to prove and everything to lose at this point. It's time for us to get real and do business with God. If you want a healthy marriage, if you want to be emotionally safe, wouldn't it be nice just to feel emotionally safe when you get home every day? You got to start praying together and nothing, I'm not trying to make it legalistic like you need to do it for X number of minutes, X number of days, but you need to pray together. We tell parents, I've been around a long time in ministry, long enough to be a grandpa. I've been around a long time and I know that there are a lot of parents in the room, maybe not this room, but typically in a room, that don't pray over their kids out loud. Oh, I pray with them when I go to bed at night and they're tucked in. Your kids need to catch you praying for them. You need to walk in their room thinking they're asleep And their little eye opens and they witness mama or daddy, daddy, oh man, being a spiritual leader of his home, praying boldly over his kids, praying for their future spouse, praying for every tactic that the enemy is trying to set up against them, that it will not work, that it will fall by the wayside, praying that the insecurity will leave, praying that the generational curses will not carry over from generation to generation to generation, but that it will stop here and now. We've got to be praying. This is our most effective weapon, and we use it the least. Pray together. Pray together. Point number two. The second habit of emotionally healthy couples is this. They keep short accounts. They keep short accounts. That means you don't bring up yesterday's problem today. Get angry if you want to. Get angry. I'm so tired of Christians acting like they don't ever get angry. Get angry. You should get angry about some things. There's lots of injustice in this world. You should be angry from time to time. And sometimes that anger may cross into, uh, let's reel that back in. You can get angry and not sin. Did you know that? the bible tells us that you can be angry but don't let the sun go down on your wrath or give place to the devil ephesians 4 says that if we go to sleep angry we give the devil a foothold in our marriage so be angry yesterday's anger is a problem today's anger is not you want to be emotionally healthy make a deal make a, make a deal with your spouse today Go to them and say, hey, listen, no matter how mad we get, let's agree here and now that we will never go to sleep angry. Now, for some of you, that could make for a very long night. But just choose it. As the night gets on later and later and later, somehow humility begins to grow. At six o'clock, I may be willing to fight and die on that hill because I know that I'm right. But by 1130, when I'm tired, I might be ready to apologize for everything I've done and everything the neighbor's done. (laughs) Make a decision that you're not going to go to bed angry. And here's another thing. Can some of us just speak up? Stop acting like it's not a big deal, but it affects everything you do and you say. If you're holding on to it, and you're processing it, and you're getting angry, and you find it resurfacing days later, or weeks later, you got to deal with it. we got to stop acting like we are Superman or Superwoman, and we can just self-process. We've got to talk about it. We begin to create these little layers of bitterness towards our kids, and our spouse, and our boss, and our friends, and you name it. We do it, or I should say, I do it, because I've been there. I get it. I understand. But here's what happens when you go to sleep angry. The Bible says that Diablos, the devil, steps in. And he begins to whisper to your spirit and to your mind and he begins to interpret the actions of your spouse. So you begin to see your spouse in light of not who God says they are, not even how you felt about them on your wedding day, but how the enemy is saying what he's saying about them in that moment. And we already know that he's a liar. So when you go to sleep angry, you are allowing, you are choosing in that moment to embrace the lies that are about to come your way. I know because that happened to me four years into my marriage. Four years into my marriage, I found myself sitting across the table from an attorney to get a divorce. I had gone to bed angry enough for long enough that I believed the lies that this woman was not for me, that she didn't love me, that I didn't love her, that we would never have a happy marriage. And they were lies, complete, utter lies that the enemy, he understood, he can't see the future, but he can sure see the seed of potential that I carry and he knew what Carrie and I could, could produce someday, and he wanted to bring division. He wants to bring division in your marriage. And it was lies. And I look back through 25 years of marriage, and I, I realize just how phenomenal my wife is. Phenomenal, incredible. I, I'm sad that she's actually not here for this marriage series, just so that I could celebrate her a little bit more. Good note, she's missing Valentine's Day and her birthday, so I'm saving a little bit of money. Chris, please edit that out of the sermon that... But I look back and, yeah, my wife is in Australia with the grandbaby, by the way. Um, I look back and I think, you know, we had communication issues, there was no infidelity. By the way, infidelity is not a deal breaker. I've seen God heal that more times than you can even put on, I don't know, whoever, I don't know, a lot of hands. A lot of hands. That God can fix that. That's not our story, but God, I've seen God do it so many times. And some of you in this room need to hear that. It's not a deal breaker. God can bring healing if both of you want healing. But I look back over the course of our marriage and I think just how, how wonderful my wife was, how gracious and kind and generous that she was. Like, I was the one who brought to the marriage this uh, unreal insecurity. That, that was me, not her. I was the one, I was the one who brought to the marriage this notion that I didn't even know what love was. I didn't know, I didn't know. And years into my marriage, even, I won't tell you a timeline, but it's plagued me for a number of the 25 years. Do I even know what love is, is the question that I often ask, because at a young age, I lost so many people. My cousin died right in front of me. My best friend was killed in a car accident. I was in my grandmother's house when she passed. A number of losses where I just learned that if I love, I lose people. So I don't even know if I know how to love on many days of my life. But I brought that into the marriage, not my wife. I brought into the marriage addiction, not my wife, substance abuse, me, not my wife. I brought into the marriage all kinds of things that this woman has stood by and fought for and loved me even if. So we need to pray together, keep short accounts, But how do good marriages process anger quickly? Can I give you two quick ways to do that? It's very simple. Number one, give your spouse the right to share their concern. So many people, you feel like you don't have a voice in your own home because if you say what you're concerned about, you get shut down. You get punished for being honest and that is not emotionally safe. Give your spouse the opportunity to share a concern. Bad marriages can't talk. I have learned that in 20 years of counseling marriages. Bad marriages can't talk. There's always a breakdown in communication in bad marriages. We see this in the corporate world. There are teams that can't talk. Or you, you're afraid of offending someone. Or they're getting their feelings hurt. Or you, you give some honest feedback and they feel flip out on you and they whatever it is that they do they throw a tantrum they you know act like they're the worst person in the world or they're bitter and they shut down my philosophy is this if we can't talk we can't work together and in family if we can't talk we can't grow it's not emotionally healthy to walk into your home and not feel like you can't share a concern but here's the second point to that You must know the difference between criticizing and sharing a concern. Sharing a concern is about me. It's not about you. It's about what I perceive. It's about how I feel. And and I may be totally wrong. And I'm probably bringing a whole lot of baggage to the story. And and you're going to shed some light when I tell you my concern. It's going to make so much sense. You know why? Because I'm I'm a paranoid guy. And I'm going to overanalyze. And I'm going to read into what you're doing. And I'm going to assume that you and your mama and your sister and your neighbor and your dog are all against me but I'm gonna share my concern anyway because I feel emotionally safe with you and then you're gonna explain it all and I'm gonna feel like an idiot. Oh, that's that's what you meant. But if I show up to my wife and I criticize her and I say, you know what you said, I didn't like it. And it reminds me of your aunt who did this and your grandma who did this and your mama who's crazy. And you, you say all of these things. My, my mother-in-law's not crazy, but I'm saying, in context if i'm criticizing trying to put her down i'm not going to have an emotionally safe environment okay i can see that you're you're dozing off so let me give you the final two points the third habit for emotionally healthy couples is have fun together be best friends some of you, if you could just have fun together today, today, whatever you got planned, cancel it. Go have fun with your spouse. You can have any kind of fun, if you know what I mean. Any kind of fun with your spouse. Just go have fun. That's how you fell in love. You had fun. It's in, in the top four needs of a man, actually. We need to have fun with our spouse. We need to, on some level, feel like our spouse is our buddy. There, there's a pastor that I know in Houston. He was having massive marriage problems and his wife went to him and said, Hey, I want to go hunting with you. He was a hunter and he was going hunting that week and she's not a hunter. And she said, I want to go hunting with you. And he was like, really? You want to go hunting with me? And she said, yeah, I want to go. But you're not a hunter. No, it's okay. I just want to go. I just want to go spend some time with you. He was a little concerned that he was, she was just trying to get him out in the wilderness with a firearm. But she went hunting with him and she didn't She didn't touch the gun because she didn't care about hunting. She cared about him. She intentionally found a way to have fun with her husband in that one hunting trip their marriage was rescued. Have fun with each other. The reality is if you take sex and fun away from the marriage, you have a business relationship. You aren't even Roommate status because roommate status means you can at least have fun together So if you have taken the fun out of your relationship, you're not even roommates anymore Number four my final point Build close relationships individually and as a couple with other believers first Corinthians 1533 says do not be misled bad company corrupts good character The couples that you are hanging out with, that's the couples you are becoming. If you don't like what they look like and how they are and the the priority that they set on God, know that's where you will be in just a year or two. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 reminds us that our friends are our future. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Day is capital D, that means the return of our Lord. As Jesus is returning, as we get closer to that day, it becomes even more critical and important that we meet with fellow believers. Yes, we still love the world. Yes, we still reach the world. Yes, we are still a part of the world and we invite them to our homes and we be Jesus to them, but we cannot isolate ourselves from the body of Christ. Let us pray. God, as we activate the law of priority and the law of pursuit by building four habits of emotionally healthy couples. God, we choose today to pray together and trust God to keep short accounts, to have fun together and be best friends and to build close relationships individually and as a couple with other believers. God, for the people in the room today, that their marriage is on the line like literally on the line, like it is the end. They are hanging on by a thread. God, I understand that they feel very sick in this moment, but I thank you, God, that you are our hope. God, I thank you that in this moment, you can tear down the lies that we have been believing. You can tear down the strongholds that we have accepted and embraced. And God, I thank you that from this house, Strong marriages are going to spring up and go out from this house into the community, into our state and nation, and into the world. God, I thank you. I thank you that as we honor marriage and honor the covenant that you have established, God, we're going to see life begin to flourish in our own homes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Can you give Jesus a hand clap this morning? God bless you. We love you.